Amen, amen. Church, you may have a seat. Thank you, Kathy. Well, church, as we continue to journey our way through the gospel, this is one of my favorite passages. Uh, This may be a familiar one to you. I love this passage. Uh, One of my most favorite in all of the gospels. It's like a lot of other stories that Jesus tells. It's, It's almost reminiscent, if you will. There's portions of it of the story of the prodigal son and the elder brother, or even the story of the two debtors. that Jesus tells, where we see in these stories and in this story, which we just heard read, uh, the lavishness of God's love and the forgiveness uh, that God pours out, that Christ pours out. It's this beautiful story, just like in the prodigal son, one of the most popular ones that all of us know, where we see on display the hardness of heart of one and the lavish display of the mercy and love of God on another. And so really what this story is doing is it's, it's setting up these two different people, these two different uh, heart postures, if you will, in this story. And there's a principle uh, that, that, that you should know that, that plays out in the Gospels time and time again. It's very often when Jesus tells a story in which you find two main characters like we have here, uh, that the main point isn't always about really either of the two characters. The main point is about Jesus himself. So Jesus is always the main point, and that's uh, the case here in this passage. Uh, and, and how do we know that? Well, we get to the end where we, where we see who is this one who can forgive sins. And so it's putting a spotlight on the power and the authority of Christ. And he's using these two characters, these two individuals, to display this powerful point. It's testifying about who Christ is and that only Jesus has the authority and power to forgive sins. Uh, And when we have two characters like we do in this beautiful story, I believe what Christ is doing and what the writer of this, what Luke is doing, he's interested in revealing what is in the human heart and what is in our hearts as well. And so in this story that we just heard read, we have a man, a Pharisee, a religious leader who is of impeccable reputation, uh, He is well-loved, he's well-known, his reputation is uh, very high, he is esteemed, his religious reputation is known throughout the whole town. He has impeccable reputation. And in this story, in this interaction with Jesus, he's going to be revealed to have a shriveled and hardened heart. And then uh, the other character, the woman in this story, this remarkable woman, uh, she is a woman who has a very questionable reputation. In fact, the text told us as we just read it that the entire town knew of her sins. The entire town knew who and what she was about. And they understood the kind of woman she was and the kind of life she had lived and the kind of sins that she was involved in. Everyone had eyes to it, the text tells us. She was someone with no reputation. Um, So a man of impeccable reputation and a woman with zero reputation. And this one, this woman is going to be revealed by God's grace 
to have a heart that is so transformed and full of love, it is hard to fathom. It is hard to comprehend it. And this story is showing us this contrast. It's setting up this amazing contrast. And Jesus is inviting you and I, as we encounter this text, to ask a very important question. A very important question. Who am I in this story? How do I relate to Jesus? Am I like one or am I like the other? With these two characters side by side, Jesus is inviting us into, what do I think of Christ? How do I respond to Christ? What is my attitude toward him? Where do, where do I fit into this story? How do I feel about Christ? Um, now, one of the reasons... Uh, that I love the stories I was studying and I was reading all these commentaries, someone brought up the point that uh, unlike the story of the prodigal son where we're given these two characters, uh, where Jesus is sort of telling this story, this parable, if you will, and he's setting up uh, this unrighteous one and this self-righteous one, and then how the lavish love and mercy of God unfolds on this prodigal. Unlike that story, this is real people. This is, these are real individuals. These are flesh and blood people. And so uh, it's this amazing thought that this woman, this is a real woman who has been transformed by the mercy and forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are found in Christ, if you have been reborn, if you are saved, we will meet her one day. Isn't that an amazing thought? This isn't just a story. We will meet her one day. And maybe get to ask her of the lavish love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ that we are all a part of if you're found in him. Now, before we jump in and look more in depth, will you pray with me quickly? Lord, what we know not teach us, what we are not make us, what we have not give us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Now, uh, as we were, as I was reading this, as I was sort of uh, sitting in the text this week, I, a question came to mind. I wonder if anyone today would have even shown up in this room if every single person in our communities, on our blocks, in our neighborhoods, in our apartment complex, uh, knew the sins that we commit, knew maybe even that one sin that we don't ever want to tell anyone that we are covering up, that we conceal, that we hide. Maybe we've told no one about it. If the whole town knew, if the whole block knew, if the whole neighborhood knew, would you have even shown up today? If your neighbor that you're sitting next to knew about it, would you have even come today? The very worst thing about you that you feel shame, that you have guilt, that you lament over, maybe uh, the time you cheated. Maybe it's the credentials that you claimed for yourself that weren't true to bolster your reputation, to make yourself look good or look better than you actually were. Maybe uh, it's um, the fact that you love someone who's not your spouse long ago or just last week and you've tried and you've covered up and you've covered up. Maybe it's the anger that wells up in you every day. 
Maybe it's the jealousy and the envy that causes us to try to keep up so much with the appearances and with all the things and all the uh, pretty things that everyone else has, but we're, we, we're just trying to play the game and we have envy in our hearts. I would never say that to anyone. What if that all came out? What if everyone knew about it? And the list goes on and on and on. What would we do? What if everyone knew about those things? Well, church, um, this woman in this story, her worst sins were known by the whole town. Let that sink in on you. Everyone knew about her. Everyone had a thought about her and it wasn't positive. She had no reputation. She was, she was found out. She was known And yet she came to the house of a man with the most impeccable religious reputation in his community. In the company, as this Pharisee has invited Jesus, this rabbi, this teacher that was making a splash in the community, uh, he invites, Simon invites Jesus and he invites all these other people to this, uh, this party, this, this dinner that he has, which uh, leads us to all the way back to last week when uh, Jesus is accused of being a glutton and a drunkard, remember? And then Luke gives us this story of Jesus being invited to a dinner party. And he's, it's like he's saying, you wanna see what Jesus does at a dinner party? Here's what happens when Jesus shows up at a dinner party. He is no glutton, he is no drunkard, but he is the friend of sinners. Remember that line last week? And so he shows up to this party this, this woman shows up who has no reputation. She is undoubtedly an, uh, just an outcast, a social outcast. And everyone in that place would have been looking upon her with condescending contempt. Like, what is she doing here? Why did she show up? And we have to ask ourselves that question. What is she doing there? Why on earth did this woman walk into this dinner party with the religious elite of the town. Now, you have to understand maybe some cultural context here. Uh, in, in this culture, in the Middle East, it, it was like this then, and it's like this even now, that this woman, and all women, and this is Luke now introducing women into the gospel narrative and his heart and love for for all of these women, we read as we tipped into a little bit of chapter eight, which we'll get into more next week. But all a woman had then was her reputation. Her reputation was of utmost importance to her. How she carried herself, what she did, who she was married to, all kinds of things. Her reputation was so cherished in that culture. If she had a great reputation, she had a great chance of making it in that culture and in that place. If she had a terrible reputation, if her reputation was ruined or stained or had a mark on it, or in this woman's case, many, many marks on it, there was a good chance that she wouldn't make it at all. She maybe not even make it long alive. Uh, back in 2008, I remember a story that came out. It's just horrifying. I'll try to uh, edit myself as I know there's some little ones in here, but it was a story that came out out of the Sudan. This is in our lifetime, just a few years ago. This horrific story 
about a 12-year-old girl who was accused of adultery. It was found out later that she was actually assaulted. Um, uh, this little girl, uh, and she was sentenced to death without a trial, without a jury, uh, because of this that was inflicted upon her. And now her reputation was so stained uh, that according to those in charge, she was not even worthy to live and she was sentenced to death by stoning. This happened in our lifetime. Uh, This happens even now. And so sometimes uh, when we read about things in the scriptures and we're like, oh, it feels so far away, uh, it feels so antiquated, it's not. This 12-year-old girl suffered that injustice because of reputation. And this woman who we encounter in this beautiful story lived in a, I would argue, even much more unforgiving time. So what is she doing there? Well, a little bit of context about also this party that's going on. So uh, Simon, the Pharisee, the religious leader, invites all of these people to this party. There's this respected teacher in town. And so when an out-of-town rabbi comes in, Jesus comes in, you would throw this celebration for him out of reverence uh, or out of a time to just get to know one another, a welcoming. And so it's, don't think of it like an intimate dinner party. Uh, most commentators believe this would be more like a block party. So there would be people on the invitation. People would have been invited in. People would have uh, been on the invitation list, so to speak. But this party, this gathering, probably would have happened in an outdoor space like a courtyard of this home. And so others in the community knew about this teacher that had come to town, right? Uh, there was no Twitter. There's no news or whatever it's called now. There's, uh, there's no TV. And so this is the way that news spread about other places and other towns. You invite the traveler in, the well-respected traveler, into the home of the well-respected uh, religious elite. And they would come and they would uh, host a meal and they would recline at table, as it says. So they'd be sitting down and sometimes there would be news about surrounding towns, about what was happening. Sometimes there would be teaching, a theological teaching that this teacher would be bringing. Uh, and it would be a time for people that were walking in and through the community in this courtyard to sort of walk up around the courtyard and listen. So it wouldn't have been uncommon for people that weren't on the, the table list, so to speak, that didn't have a seat at the table to walk up and listen to the news of this teacher of the surrounding areas and all that God was doing. And so that's what's happening as Simon throws this party and he invites Jesus to sit down with the religious elite as this woman intentionally came to that meeting where the religious elite had gathered. And for her to walk up, though, of her reputation was, in fact, a very dangerous proposition for her, I would like to believe. Um. And, it's, and, and as we're going to get little clues in the text that was read, that it's clear that this Pharisee, wasn't, it wasn't like a warm welcome for Jesus either. It wasn't like, oh, we're so glad you're here. And we get little clues about this. It was more like, hey, I want you to come sit at my table because he's sort of sizing him up. 
He's sort of sizing up Jesus, kind of wondering, what is this guy all about? I've heard rumors about this Jesus. I've heard about all the things he's supposedly doing. And so this religious leader is sort of sizing up this other threatening uh, rabbi on the scene, this other threatening teacher on the scene. And we get uh, little clues about that because the courtesies and the etiquette of a dinner uh, party like this are not shown toward Jesus. And we get glimpses of that that were read at the very end of the story. Like in verse 45, the passage tells us that he was not greeted with a customary kiss. Remember Jesus is talking to Simon? You didn't even give me a customary kiss. It, it would be, you're like, well, that's kind of weird. And who's going to kiss someone? It's, it's, the, it's like a handshake. Or a hug when someone comes to your home. Hey, I'm so glad you're here. That's Jesus is like, you didn't even do that. You didn't even receive me. You didn't wash my feet, which would have been customary in the town as they walk around with sandals and walk through the muck and mire of all the things from traveling. It would be customary for uh, the Jewish uh, folks that walk into this party to have their feet washed with water, to anoint their head with oil as a sign of respect and honor for one entering into their home. They would be like our customs, right? We light a candle, we put on some good music, we uh, give a handshake. It's all these things that we do to ready our home when we have company over that makes that guest feel welcome and we're glad that they're there. Jesus like, you didn't do any of that for me. Just walked in, it was cold. And so you get the sense through all these context clues that Simon's sort of sizing up this other threatening religious leader that's walked into his home. He didn't receive him well. Um, what kind of man is this Jesus? He's wondering. He's got the reputation of being some great prophet, but I'm not so sure about that. And so he wants to sort of check him out. He wants to ask him some questions himself. He invites him over. And this woman, however, in comparison, did not come to size up Jesus, so to speak. She already knew something very, very, very important about Christ. Now, Luke doesn't tell us this. He doesn't give us this. This is just my opinion. This is not in here. But I, I believe that this woman already knew about Jesus. I believe she knew about the message of Christ. I believe she may have been one that was uh, hearing the teaching maybe on the sermon on the mount, the sermon on the plain. She was maybe following him. She'd maybe seen and heard the message of the gospel based on her, uh, her actions toward Jesus at this dinner party. I'm led to believe that she already knew of the message of forgiveness that this one Christ could provide to her. Luke doesn't tell us that for sure, so I don't know that for sure, but I believe that's the case based on her response to Christ as she encounters and she approaches Jesus. I believe she was there. I believe she had some kind of personal encounter with him. She was convicted of her sin. She heard the proclamation of the good news that Jesus came to preach. She knows who this man is, I believe. And I believe that Jesus has already made a profound change in her heart and in her mind. More so than anything that has ever happened in her life. And likely that is the forgiveness of her sins. And she has come to this dinner party with her most precious thing she owns, that ointment that she brings. 
And she's there in contrast with a company of people who have no respect for her whatsoever. Only contempt. Only looks of scorn upon her. But she's there because this one has preached a message of grace and forgiveness and acceptance even to those that seem so far off from God. And she has to get closer to him. She has to go get closer to him. And here's her, here's her chance. Um, and so we have these events. They're all, uh, the, the story is, there's all these folks sort of reclined at the table so in this context, in this culture, uh, your head would be toward the table, your feet out from the table. Luke says that she came up behind Jesus. In other words, she comes up to the point maybe on the bench or this couch or this thing on the floor or the chair that he's reclining on, and she comes right up to his feet. This one whom she has such hope that he will actually see her and not reject her. She comes right to his feet and she like loses control. And she begins to weep uncontrollably. Now I believe there are probably tears of contrition over what she has done, over the sins that she's committed that everyone so plainly knows, but also there are tears of this is my only hope, this one that can be my hope for salvation, for grace, for forgiveness, for mercy in my time of need for forgiveness that she was so desperately longing for. And so she begins to weep. And you can imagine, I mean, this, this sort of posh party, right, with all these religious upstanding people and this woman who had no business being there just throws herself at the feet of this visiting prophet that walks around town and begins to uncontrollably sob at his feet. <laughs> the tension here is, is so great. Um, the tension, you can cut it with a knife. And this woman knows that Jesus is the only one that can give her what she is lacking, forgiveness and mercy in her time of need. And she realizes sort of what she's doing, weeping all over Christ's feet, that her, his feet are just wet with her tears. And it's, it's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that I've just done this to this one that I love. And so she lets her hair down, pulls her hair down and begins to dry his feet with her hair. Um, now, why is this significant? There are rabbis and there's writings at the time that told uh, that if husbands had the, rather husbands had the right to even divorce their wives, if a wife let her hair down or a woman let her hair down in the presence of another man, it was uh, something that was never done. It would have been shocking, especially in this company. Um, and so this woman is weeping. She lets her hair down and she begins to dry Christ's feet with her hair that she lets down in the presence of all of these religious elite. This story, Luke wants us to see that this woman doesn't see anyone else in that room. 
She doesn't care what anyone else thinks about her. She doesn't care what they know about her. She knows, Jesus knows her heart. Jesus has seen her sin. Jesus knows and sees her need and he can grant forgiveness. And so she's on her knees weeping and taking down her hair because Jesus is so precious to her. She is expressing her gratitude and her love like no one else is in that room. She doesn't care what Simon thinks about her. She doesn't care what the other leaders think about her. She doesn't care what the maybe surrounding peanut gallery that had gathered around this courtyard looking in at the scene think about her. All she cares about is Christ right here in this moment. And then, as if it couldn't get any more um, amazing, any more maybe even tense for the people watching, she takes this alabaster perfume, her most treasured possession, something that would have been of great value to any woman in this culture. Verse 38 tells us that she takes it and she pours it out, not on his head, not on his shoulders, but on his feet. And this is a picture of great humility. Her most precious possession she had. These perfume bottles, commentators believe, were so important to Jewish women in this culture that they were actually permitted to be worn and carried on the Sabbath day. Um, It was a part, uh, so to speak, of who a woman was, that she would have such a thing. So they were allotted to wear them on Sabbath day as this precious possession. And here she is, uncorking it and pouring all of it, presumably on this man's feet, all the while, while Simon is looking at her with contempt. And what's worse is he's looking at Jesus with contempt. And he's saying to himself, we get a window into his heart and into his mind, verse 39, if this man were really a prophet, if he was really who he says he is, if he is really a man of God, a prophet of God, he would know that this is an immoral woman. That this woman presumably is a prostitute. This woman has no reputation. She has no business touching a prophet. And Jesus, I don't know if you caught it in the story, verse 40 or 39 and 40, he hears and knows his thoughts. He kind of hears his heart. And Jesus asks Simon a question. He says, hey, I I need to tell you something, verse 40. And he tells him this little parable. In the middle of this tense moment, this beautiful moment between this woman and Jesus and all these people watching in. And he looks up, perceives Simon's hardened calloused heart. Who is this man that's letting a woman of this reputation touch his feet? Hey, Simon, I need to tell you a story. And he tells him this parable in verse 40. He says, if there are two men, um, notice he says men here, because here Jesus' heart goes out to this woman, this outcast. And so he's telling him a story that he would connect with and not immediately dismiss. Say there's two men, and one owed two months' salary, essentially, and the other owed two years' salary. 
So one of them, just a two-month debt, and the other one had a debt that would be about two years' salary. And say, uh, say, say that both debts were forgiven for both of these individuals. Um, which of them would love him more? Now, it's, it's obvious the answer to that question. And, you know, it's almost like Simon was presumably insulted by being asked such a dumb question. He's like a religious elite, a, fair, a teacher of the law. He's this wise and smart guy, and he's kind of like, okay, thanks, Jesus. It's such a blatantly obvious question, and it's almost insulting to give an answer, I would presume, uh, in this exchange. And he says, kind of like, well, I suppose the man who owed him more loved him more. Because he was forgiven such great a debt. And in this little parable, we are given such great irony in his answer. Simon couldn't see it. He didn't get it. He could answer the question correctly with ease. In fact, he was insulted by the question, probably. But the living irony of the story was not obvious to him in that moment. What was unfolding right before him, he just couldn't see it. He didn't get it. And what he didn't understand as Luke is drawing this out and writing is that there is another theologian in that room. And it's the woman at the feet of Christ and she gets it with all of her being. She understands the depths of that debt being forgiven. With tears in her eyes and a heart full of the love for Christ and the love of Christ, she understands. Simon can answer it rightly and this woman though is living it rightly and displaying it rightly. Simon can answer the question, but as this question is posed, as this little parable is brought to the surface of debt being forgiven, we see that Simon here has not been forgiven. Why? Because he doesn't think he needs to be forgiven of anything. It's always dangerous, church. This is a lesson for all of us. It's always dangerous when you look with greater contempt on the sins of others than you look on the wickedness of your own heart. Uh, We looked at this, this very thing that Jesus taught us just a few weeks ago. It's really easy to see the speck In someone else's eye, meanwhile, we have a log coming out of our own. Here is a living example of this exact moment playing out. And this is right where Simon was. Um, See, Simon did need to be forgiven. Probably even more so than the woman in the story. Um, But he didn't know it. And I love uh, one commentator says this. um, Jesus says to Simon, Simon, do you see that woman? Verse 44. It's like he's saying, Simon, you have missed what she has. 
You've missed the biggest thing going on here. You missed the entire point. The commentator says, Simon couldn't see what she had become because all he could see is what she once was. But Jesus saw her heart. And he saw Simon's heart. And don't you love that in the text? He turns to her, like looks at her, but says Simon's name. Simon, her sins are forgiven. Now, here's an important just qualifier here. Something for us to understand in the text will uh, help us get there as well. But it's, it's important to understand that Jesus is not saying that she was forgiven because she wet his feet with her tears, okay? Uh, The text is not saying that she was forgiven because she dried the tears of his wetened feet with her hair. She, She is not forgiven because she anointed him with oil. Luke tells us in the last verse that, uh, She was forgiven, and these were evidences of that forgiveness. This was a heart overflowing with love for Christ, and they were evidences that Jesus had radically changed her heart and had forgiven her of her sin, which no man could have done except Christ. And this display of just radical, beautiful love being poured out are evidences of her love for Christ. Her debt had been paid. It had been canceled in Christ. And her heart here is swelling with love and gratitude. So what saved her? Verse 50. This is in, this is in here for us. So we don't aren't tempted to believe that it's, it's the extent of my love that grants me forgiveness. No, she's already been forgiven. Verse 50, what has saved her? Your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. In other words, because you trusted in me, because you knew that I was the only one to grant to you this forgiveness that you so desperately needed. And therefore, as a result of that forgiveness, love poured out of her for and toward Christ and Christ alone. Church, if we believe that we are saved or we are justified or we are forgiven by our own love, then we are all Hopeless. Jesus says, it is the fact that you trusted me. You put your faith in me. And all of this response is evidence of the faith you put in me and the love pouring out in and through you toward Christ. And then on contrast, we have Simon and his lack of love that he showed Jesus the entire time he doesn't know who Christ is and his heart and his actions display it. So church, um, the question for us, I believe this text is building up that we need to ask ourselves is how do you deal with the sins that you don't want anyone else to know about? Do you cover them up? Do you justify them? You kind of weigh them in a scale saying, you know, I've done mostly good my whole life, so I think I'll probably be good in the long run. You sort of weigh it on the scales of justice. 
you know, I've stacked up this many. I try to go to church as much as I can. It's got to count for something good. Um, Well, if that's you today, or if that's somewhere in you, as I know it's probably in all of us, like it is me, then this woman has something wonderful to teach all of us. She didn't care what anyone else in that room thought of her. She didn't care if she was weighed in the balances and found guilty by everyone else there. Um, She knew that she had been weighed in the balances and found guilty. Even Christ himself knew that her sins were many. And yet, church, to her surprising astonishment, the one who knew all of her sins, the one who knew her heart, the one who knew everything about her, Jesus Christ, looks at her and says, my child, I love you. Your sins are forgiven. And she didn't care as a result what anyone else thought. Can you imagine that liberating experience? The only one that mattered in that room to her was Christ. He says, you are forgiven. And church, if you've never experienced that liberating forgiveness of the sins that you carry, I would urge you today, do not try to cover them up. In fact, the scripture tells us to confess them. Do not try to hide them. Do not try to weigh them on the balance scale because if you look through your life and you weigh it on the scales of justice, so to speak, uh, your sins are many, just like hers were. And yet the one who knows all of them, the one who actually has made you, has paid for all of them at the cross and says to you, should you come to him in faith like she did, your sins are forgiven, your debt is paid. If you've never come to him, come to Jesus today. Maybe you've been going to church your whole life. You can still miss it. He's in the room of the most elite, well-thought-of, well-respected religious leaders, and they missed it. Don't miss Christ and his mercy today, church. We are guilty, but he is a great savior. I deserve to have no reputation. I deserve to be condemned. I deserve to be friendless, yet here I am. The great mystery of mysteries. If you knew my story, you wouldn't want me up here. But Christ in his mercy is greater. Amen? So church, uh, I believe we need to learn from this woman and we need to learn a a number of things as we have unpacked this text. But we need to learn not to just protect our reputations and protect uh, us trying to look good on the outside and maybe know all the right things, but yet our hearts are hard and we miss the mercy and grace of Christ. Let's have soft hearts that the one that has forgiven us much, may we fall at his feet, weep if you must, Because we have heard, if you are found in him, your sins are forgiven. Um, Do not be like Simon in this story. Do not harden your hearts to Christ and his radical message of forgiving the least likely of which all of us are counted in. 
Do not think of yourself so high in reputation that you couldn't get on your knees in worship and adoration of this one that has come and granted you the forgiveness you can find in no one or nothing else but Christ and Christ alone. Um, No wonder she loved him. No wonder she loved him. The question this morning that the text is just highlighting for us is, do you? Do you love him? If he has saved you, if he has rescued you, does love pour out of you with gratitude and worship and adoration, tears over your sin, tears over the joy of your salvation? Let the gospel and the mercy of Christ affect your heart. This isn't a class. The living Christ has come and transformed us. This is a story of two hearts, one soft for the gospel and just just overflowing with praise and gratitude and the other knows all the right things, has lived a very righteous life, has done all the things, went to church his whole life and he missed it. Don't miss Christ, church. You can come to him with empty hands and he gives you all the fullness of his deity to you should you come to him by faith and faith alone and he will look upon you and say, your sins are forgiven. Let's pray together, church. Lord Jesus, we are all so undeserving of your great mercy. And Lord, for those of us that have trusted you by faith, Lord, may our hearts swell with gratitude and love, even contrition over our sin. But Lord, may we fall at your feet this morning declaring you are our only hope. You are our only savior. You are the only one, Jesus, in whom can look upon me, a sinner, and say these most precious words, your sins are forgiven because they are many. But praise be to Christ that his grace abounds all the more. Lord, for anyone in this room that is far from you, For anyone in this room that over years maybe their heart has grown hard, that they know the right answer, that they get invited to the dinner party, and maybe we wouldn't even like it if a woman like this showed up there. Lord, would you soften our hearts? Make us more like Christ. Crack open that hard shell that sometimes forms in us. Lord, may your gospel May your good news, may your word impact my heart and our hearts today. And Lord, for anyone that doesn't know you, Lord, may they run to Christ like you are the only one in the room. May they fall on your great mercy and forgiveness knowing that only your words, only your work on the cross can save and it's been secured by your resurrection. Lord, would you move? Would you do a work in us?
Only you can. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, uh, as we respond this morning, um, if you need to, I don't know, come to the front and kneel, if you need to go to the back and find a quiet place, please do that. If you need to stand and raise your hands, if you need to uh, sing at the top of your lungs out of the gratitude of your salvation, please do that. Um, This story is meant to stir our hearts. What this woman did was remarkable. Uh, And I, I would hate for us to just stand up and kind of do church like we always do after reading such an amazing display, a heart-moving display of her, despite all of the difficulties surrounding her, fall at the feet of Christ. And maybe that makes you a little uncomfortable. That's okay. Um, So I want to challenge us. Uh, You don't have to do anything different, but I want to challenge us. If the Spirit is so leading you, Uh, would you respond to that still small voice and deal with the Lord? Rejoice in your salvation. Weep over your sin. Receive the forgiveness of Christ for the first time. Uh, I'm gonna be standing uh, up here. If you need someone to pray for you, Ashley will come stand up front. Uh, let's, let's, Let's pray together. Uh, But would you respond to Jesus? Let the spirit lead uh, and respond to him this morning and how he's leading you. Let's worship.